We are back for season two. I guess it's almost time for me to stop saying season two, seeing as we're about 30 episodes in. Great guest today, JT Patton. He has a background in Intel and IED defeat devices and everything you could possibly imagine. Incredible background, incredible guy, uh, very educated, very well known in the writing community and just an all around good dude. There he is, JT Patton. Hello, Dr. Piccolo. Oh, I, I, you know, I forget I'm a doctor nine times out of ten. I'm like, oh, yeah, I am a doctor. I forgot about that. Uh, I guess it's what happens when you like you get all this education, then you, you become like a, a podcast host, and you're like, oh, cool. That's right. <laughs> just, just another thing to put on the wall. <laughs> exactly. JT Patton, thriller author. I love that. I love that saying, man. That is my next career goal. After my next nonfiction book, I want to get into the thriller books, man. And that's why I want to have you on to talk about it. Plenty of room in the space. Plenty of room in the space for sure. You know, that's one thing I really want to bring up. Let's bring that up right off the bat. Yeah. Is, you know, it seemed like back in the day, if you were throwing a book out there, you would have so much competition. It was kind of cutthroat. Same thing. It used to be with like the, the veteran space when you wanted to get into the little, the social networking niches. Yeah. Now it seems like, the writing world, the writing community is so like, Hey, you know what? If you're a thriller writer, I'm going to support you and everybody else supports you. It's really cool. I've especially seen that with Mark Greeny, Brad Taylor, Jack Carr, all the big ones are out there like supporting other authors. Yeah. I, I would say that that's um, it's probably one of the, the bigger team genres that I've seen. Um, and I, I suspect a lot of it has to do with the fact that many of the writers also love reading the books. Yeah. Um, and I think that especially if you've gotten some individuals who have um, worked with the military, worked with the intel agencies, mm-hmm. kind of know what they're talking about. Um, I think you want to want to help those individuals out a little bit more, uh, because the one thing that. I, I think you see with readers are, especially, you know, now with the COVID downturn and, and now with summer coming up, whether you can get out of the house or not, people are reading. And if they're reading books, um, you know, once they finish the one book, they're not just sticking with one author. They're looking for multiple other authors. And if you can, you know, push them to a buddy of yours so that it kind of comes back around full circle within a year, so be it. Um, but I think there's a lot of greats out there. And I think that as, the, quite honestly, um, a lot of the guys in, in the military community, especially in the special operations side, real smart guys. And I think that they're finding that uh, they can write the books just as well as, as anyone else can, uh, especially with some editing help. I think in the past, there are more people that were using ghost authors. Um, so I think it's just a little bit easier to do and with the support of others to kind of crutch you through it and some writing aids and tools. Um, it's just, there's room for more content. Yeah. Content is key now. And that's one thing that has changed over the past years is that, you know, before it seemed like, you know, us older people, we, we can kind of do one thing at once, but now people have to multitask. They want to read a book and then they want to read another book right away. And if you're writing a series, you need to have another one in the pipe, even before you start the, the first one, it's like, you have to have two books going at the same time, which brings us into the next 
the next topics I want to talk about is also, hey, you know what? You guys are writing thriller books, and they're not like just bang them up, shoot them up. With a thriller, you need that anticipation. You need that conflict. How do you map out such a complex, intricate book knowing you know, you have to think two or three steps ahead to your next book. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, because, and a lot of the books that, that I write have a few different plot lines going through. Uh, and and really, that was some of the feedback that I got initially was the, the books are too complex. And in some cases, when I first started writing, I didn't do a very good job of organizing a lot of those thoughts. So the, uh, you know, the term being a pantser of just writing from your pants and uh, see to your pants and, uh, and just going as the story moves you. I did that with my first book, um, Shadow Masters, where I just, you know, just kind of went with it and kept going. Um, the second book, I did a little bit more outlining so that I could get my arms around the, the, the plots. And, uh, and that helped out a lot. Um, I then picked up the offer for the Task Force Orange books uh, through Kensington, started writing those. But that time I used uh, a lot more structured outlines. And then on the second book in that series, I actually started mapping out good thriller plot lines as kind of the story arcs and how they 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 um, had more climax points and then where you're supposed to have you know the reduction on that and then even how many chapters you might have before there's certain action uh, and I really took a, a, a more scientific approach uh, and structured approach to that and the feedback that I had gotten from the presence of evil that I wrote at the time uh, was that was probably my my best book yet um, it was probably my least favorite book to write because I felt as though I didn't have as much of the creativity in just where that story was going to go. I already knew what I had to do for each chapter, but I think giving me some left and right guidelines really helped structure it um, so that when I finally finished that series and then went back and completed the uh, the first one that I was doing, um, I think that third book in that series ended up being a lot better because I had learned a little bit more in the craft of organizing my thoughts, not going too far out there. And uh, and quite honestly, some of the feedback I'd gotten from the Kensington uh, editor was, look, people that are reading these thrillers, they want to binge them. Mm -hmm. And so if you can make more of that linear plot line where you've got a, you got a good guy and then you've got a bad guy who blows something up, good guy chases him down on a horse, shoots him, goes off to the next uh, the next book. And he says, I really want it that simple. Um, hmm. I didn't go along that way, but um, but it's still, it stuck in my mind that that was going to be a little bit easier to do. And very much like what you see in uh, you know cinema today also for a lot yeah. of the, the military thrillers. I find that a lot is like, as I'm going through these books, either it's audio and I love audible books. Um, it feels like you're in a movie and it feels like you're, you're tracking along just like it's a movie. There's always like seven or eight different layers of conflict for your protagonist. And I think it's really cool to kind of keep going up against it because it is like a thriller. It's exactly what it is. That's what it's made for. It's a process. But one thing I wanted to talk about is, is that is a process. It's a thriller, but your background is very Intel centric. And you and I both know in the Intel world, whether it's in a military whether it's law enforcement, intelligence analysis, data analytics, it's all very dry. Yeah, It's all very, this, these are the facts. Uh, the only time sometimes you could bring it up very juicy is when you have a human factor behind it. 
But other than that, it's pretty fact-based. How do you, was it the transition really difficult to go from, hey, you know what, this is my background, this is my writing style, and then bam, I'm going to write thrillers? Yeah, that really was. Um, because I think in my early days of analysis, it was a lot more uh, DOD focused. And, and, and with that, you know, you can just pretty much bring up a lot of the more salient points. Um, but then if, then as I got more involved with uh, the agencies and writing, um, I mean, there's a very structured approach and Sherman Tech School um, has a defined handbook on writing style and how you need to write for the agency and, and for the larger Intel community. Um, so I had adopted that and, you know, that's a lot more of the inverted pyra uh, pyramid, certain word choices, et cetera. Um, when I moved from there, I got more into consulting, which was a lot more flowery, um, a lot more um, passive voice, uh, because nobody really wanted to directly advise a client what to do so that it didn't come back as a liability. And then when I had to start in with writing and then get back to kind of, um, you know, the creativity, then it was that balance of being direct, being uh, active voice, um, adding some thematic things in there so that you can, you know, get that view of what's going on, um, but yet not have too much flower, flowery language. And I think that's one of the transitions that came from, you know, there's uh, us who started off reading Tom Clancy. I mean, it could take you five pages for a leaf to blow across the street. Um, now with today's thrillers, that pat, that pace has to be much faster and uh and it's got to be cleaner and in some cases someone says i don't care what everything is in their room i want to know what's going on yeah you know you go from an 800 page thriller to you know three to 350 it's it's difficult i'm sure to try to package it all and uh yeah you brought up a great point in there about liability especially when it comes to the customer your first books were self-published and obviously you have a, a TSSEI background with probably 15 different acronyms for, <laughs> for a clearance, but to self-publish a book, what was that process like to get it cleared for publication? Yeah. And that, that was one of the reasons that I did go uh, and do it. I had, um, I had spoken to Dalton Fury, had spoken to Brad Taylor, had spoken to some agency friends and, uh, and I also saw how, some people had done it wrong uh, when the publisher said, we will take care of it and we'll send it to the professional review board or publication review board and didn't do that. Um, I, I saw how that kind of bit Jerry Boykin in the butt um, and, and a few others. So I was not exactly sure what that process was going to look like for me because I was working across a, a number of different agencies and organizations. So I, I took it little at a time and I figured I will self-publish these because I needed to bear the responsibility ultimately for ensuring it was done right. Um, and even though I was writing fiction, I, I still wasn't convinced that I didn't have certain obligations. And I did talk to some lawyers about it. I did look back through my agreements and for my particular ones, I did have to pass anything forward. So I started out where I had to get it uh, approved and the, the agency's um, professional review board was the first one. Um, and then after I completed that, then I had to go through DOD so that they could bring it to other entities. 
I think for me, it was uh, it was pretty easy uh, at first. Um, I think it took maybe six months to do, and uh, and everything that was redacted, I was willing to comply with it. You know, I was just writing a, a fictional story, so if they said something shouldn't be in there, well, you know, I didn't care to argue it. Um, when I finished that series, it did progressively get a little bit more difficult because what I found was a lot of my roles in the intelligence community um, was in analysis. And so when I was writing about Iran, if I was writing about Hezbollah and certain organizations or certain ways of providing cover uh, for for status and or um, action, um, there got into some elements of tradecraft, but then also some aspects of analytical inferences is what they had put down, which is even though I may not have had direct experience or direct read in to certain things, um, because I could draw certain inferences based on what I did know, those things might be sensitive also. So that's where it got tricky. And then, you know, being a bit of a dumbass and not seeing where the, the, the warning was with that, uh, I jumped into the uh, Task Force Orange series and uh, that was that became problematic right away just because of the fact that, you know, there's plenty of SEAL stories out there, plenty of Delta stories out mm-hmm. there, but TFO was kind of one that you don't want to touch and and most people don't have the SIGINT experience on the, mm-hmm. the, the, the Intel side to mix with the human and the op side. And, uh, you know, I wanted to do something fresh and different. Um, I wasn't going to divulge anything, um, but that ended up then being problematic because the agency wants you to submit anything before anyone else has seen it. So that means it can't be edited and it can't be reviewed. DOD wants to see the final product. I had to submit to the CIA and NSA because of past um, relationships and then also had to submit to DOD because of the uh, SOCOM and JSOC components. Um, they didn't like it. It took a real long time. Again, I complied. I redacted everything. But they said, you know, we may want to. You may want to consider writing something else. The second book that I put out there, they screwed me by putting DOD in front of it, and because they wanted to be able to to. Uh, send it over to the components, but yet then I was trapped because then the agency uh, couldn't look at it first before they would, nor could NSA. <laughs> so when I brought that up, they said, well, that's something that you're just going to have to figure out. So I ended up you know, submitting to everybody all at the same time, letting them deflect. And um, they drew that one out for a good year. And uh, and then I was told uh, once once that was published, they said, look, you know, I said, look, how do we fix this process? You know, I'm willing to comply. And they said, look, the subject matter is just too sensitive. Um, And because we want to be thorough, the next book that you write, we're just saying that it could take a couple years. Jesus. So, you know, that's not real realistic. And I think it was a little bit tongue in cheek, but I I I got the warning. So. (laughs) Yeah, is what I'm, thinking, is. I'm like, we were just we just had the conversation about how, you know, people want content now. And then all of a sudden it's like, uh, OK, we're going to we're going to wait. We're going to stall your book for a year or two just so we could analyze every book like a lawyer, like every word. 
Yeah. Is that, should be that an if or a the or a the? I can't imagine. And you know, I think I think for mine, I understand I understand the sensitivities to it. Uh, but again, there was nothing that I was going to dis- divulge from anything that I had ever been able to yeah. touch or see or been involved with. Um, but I think it's an interesting topic, especially with surveillance. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, I mean, right now, even with the riots, there's been some question as to whether or not we were sucking, you know, the air um, to get information from people's cell phones yeah. um, and, and whether or not were you using, you know, the um, uh, the scanners and stuff like that uh, you know, by Harris, um, the stingrays and such. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's very true to life. And I think that's just the issue, even though I was doing a lot of domestic um, uh, topics. I think that it now what we've seen here that, all right, if we did implement that and you had to use NSA resources for something like that, um, that might be just hitting a little too close to home. So, you know, I get it. Yeah, I can only imagine. And, you know, before we started the conversation today, we did a little quick pre-interview and we were talking about your time at overseas and about like the IED defeat, defeat um, task forces you've been on and stuff like that and using social media back in 2004 it must have been uh, a very interesting task because now we're using social in a law enforcement realm social media is key you know the tracking it's so easy to pull human out of it yeah um, that was that was pretty new and and we were dealing a lot with the start of uh, covert communications um, about the time that you know, IEDs were becoming really prevalent in Iraq, a real problem. Uh, I was tasked to work on something about 2003. And uh, and what I came up with at the time was um, viral targeting. So just like you, you have with a virus, uh, there's a lytic cycle, you know, that, go, that you go through where it mm-hmm. infects one thing from another. And I was applying the theory of social network, even though it wasn't necessarily on social media, but whether it was through the funding, um, through the uh, religious ties, through family ties, uh, things like that, how you can defeat that network. And it wasn't so much, I mean, at the same time, there was a lot of the, you know, the SOSA network, um, mm-hmm. attack the network was, was going on. In this case, it was trying to figure out based on behavior, based on social psychology, um, how you could do messaging or what types of effects that you could create for second and third order effects that essentially are spreading a virus to disrupt those networks inside. Um, so that's what I was involved with initially um, for counter IED. And uh, I think even Small Wars Journal ended up publishing um, a, a very watered down article of, of what we were doing at the time. So it was, it was pretty interesting. And I think, again, it's still goes to today how to create action from social media or social forces at work mm-hmm. now how does someone like you become you <laughs> how do you all of a sudden like in high school you're like hey you know what i think i'll go and work for the agency dod and go do some spooky stuff how did how did this all come about yeah i don't know i i think <laughs> so i'm 50 now and i think at the, you know my dad was in vietnam in the army um, 
I, I, I always enjoyed, you know, in the summer times it was get out of the house, you know, and kids mm -hmm. were just running around neighborhoods and we were playing, you know, cops and robbers and stuff. And so, you know, at that time, a lot of us that had dads who had been in, in the war um, could bring out, you know, certain bits of kit. Yeah. And so I think that we were always playing with that. I had a real good friend whose dad was uh, special forces. Um, there was a bit of a story behind that. And so I think that was always at the forefront of our minds. And I think that I, as I started reading, I was a bit of a reluctant reader, but as I started getting into things that interested me, I started reading all of the old uh, Vietnam SOG books, mm -hmm. all those first, uh, it was a Daryl Young who wrote the, um, the, the Navy SEAL stuff. And, and even I think Dick Marchenko mm -hmm. had written his book at the time. So it just started coming about. Um, I was doing some hunting at that point and um, a lot of marksmanship out in Arkansas where my grandparents had, a, had had their house. So I think I was just kind of getting raised to a lot of that. I wasn't scouting. Um, and then I think and then I started work, shooting for the um, uh, police department's uh, junior rifle team. And so I think there was that aspect of it. And then I decided, OK, if I want to do that in college, um, I got involved with study abroad, but I was also the ROTC and, uh, and, you know, rifle team and stuff like that. So I think that kind of went into it, but then I think on the intellectual side, I did want to do a little bit more on the Intel side and, uh, and I was a, a real disaster in ROTC and, uh, and they had said, you know, this, this may not necessarily be for you, uh, because even though you want to do unconventional first, you have to master the conventional. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and I, I had some lessons learned there, but I, I had some then introductions that brought me closer towards the, uh, the agency and the Intel side. And so I think as that went on, and then even while I was waiting for certain things there, I took some jobs that were in finance, um, and in, in finance, in the mortgage business in the early 90s, that's where part of that, before that boom hit of the collapse, yeah. you know, we were signing anything. And one of the first things that I learned how to do in the mortgage business, unfortunately, was how to commit mortgage fraud um, by, by you know, you you would sign documents, you have people sign, you know, pieces of papers, and mm -hmm. then you, they would, then you could write something later. Uh, you would run things through a fax machine if you hadn't adjusted the signature. That was, you know, just so that you can get something yeah. done faster. And, uh, and I think that also staged me for understanding businesses, understanding finances, which later got me into how to create fake businesses and fake, fake personas for the government so that you can, you know, stage them overseas. So it's just mm -hmm. one of those things where I think, you know, there, there's no clear path and you, you fall into it. And if somebody's looking for you, all of a sudden they say, well, there's kind of a black swan over there that can probably do it. Let's grab him and see what happens. And before you know it, you know, you get a little bit of a reputation and, you know, start getting the calls. Now, I, I could totally see that. You and I grew up around the same era. I'm 47 and a half. And, you know, getting outside, uh, just doing stuff, wanting to know more. And I read the same Circa books, a lot about the long range recon patrol. Yep. But I actually, I used to just absorb every counterterrorism book I could possibly imagine, everything about terrorism back then. And I for could sure. see like, you know, it's like something, it was different for us back then because we didn't have access to these phones where we can get a million, uh, anything we want is right there. We had to hunt it down. We had to go to libraries. We had to learn like, you know, the Dewey Decimal System was yeah. like that to find books. And I could see how once you get that seed planted in your head where you want to look at the big world, 
you start going for the education. You start wanting to learn more and more. So yeah, I, I could totally see how you just, it keeps going and going. And the same thing when you're writing books, you want to go on and on and you want people to understand what you understand. It's kind of like this really cool ripple effect that just starts when you're a kid and it never ends. And I think at the time too, I mean, there was, I don't want to say censorship because you can still get these things today. But um, at that time, I think there was also a lot of, you know, Paladin Press type books that were coming yeah. out too, you know, Anarchist Cookbook <laughs> yes. and, you know, the Shadow Warriors and stuff and how to be an assassin and 30 days, you know, that type of a thing. The funniest thing was looking at the uh, the ads in the back of Soldier of Fortune and yeah. seeing all like, these funny things. That's exactly it. Yeah, it's just a different time and your imagination can run wild back then. And, you, and you, when you get into the reality of the world, it's kind of interesting. For sure. So we're kind of running towards the end here. One thing I did want to bring up is, so you have any advice for a potential thriller writer like myself? Well, um, the, the, I think, you know, I, I used to think, well, you know, write, write something that means something to you. And I don't know if I if I necessarily believe it right now, um, because while I do think that the writing community is is um, is very inclusive and I think those that are writing military thrillers are willing to help one another um, and, and there's a lot of readers who are looking for things, there is a little bit of a saturation, but yet those that seem to have the um, the same model of you know navy seals delta those those things sell um my task force orange stuff it uh it, it was innovative i think it was pretty unique i think it was probably more true to life than a lot of folks would would recognize but um ultimately that really didn't matter people just wanted some of the same basics um i think the other thing that's that's important is you don't really have to be, um, you know, have a, a career. And now, of course, your background would would do well, but many others, you know, so many of the things can be cut out. I mean, you don't want to make a mistake about a lot of the weaponry because people will kill you for that thing. <laughs> uh, I mean, not literally, but you know, they'll, they'll bust your chops on that if you if you write something wrong. Um, but if you're a good writer, I think that's that's the the biggest key. And Per, uh, you know, the persistency is also um, something else because it is difficult to get agents. Agents who have, you know, their golden childs are going to see who can perhaps offseat them, but they're not necessarily willing to invest a lot into that, nor are the publications um, or the publishers. They're, they're looking to, you know, see what's going to sell. Does somebody have a, a good background? Um, I think of, um, uh, what is it? Uh, I can't, Emily, Emily, uh, Bessler, Bessler, um, you know, when Jack Carr came around, I think that there was already some rumbling because of his background and the fact that, you know, he was writing a, a decent book. Um, and, but he had, you know, he had that story that could also be told and saying that as we see now, I mean, in his own right, I mean, it's, it's great stuff, but, um, you know, he's also got a branding, uh, with him. And so I think that, Publishers are looking, you know, if they're looking to decrease their own marketing spend, 
who yeah. is somebody that can almost sell themselves based on their affiliates, their um, uh, their image and their brand. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's key. So as much as you have to have a decently written book and, and an interesting topic, I think sometimes there's it's it's just as much about who you are and what your platform is. I think that sometimes makes it a little bit harder for the Intel guys to gain some mm-hmm. traction because we don't necessarily wear it on our sleeves as much, um, nor can we. So to you know put something out all the time about what we did in the Intel community and have a bunch of pictures with our bubbas and stuff. Yeah, that's not there. But yet, if you've got you know if you were on the teams, I don't. I mean, I don't know how the hell they had somebody taking pictures all the time that they seem to be able to post, you know, everybody wearing the bandoleros and stuff, no matter where they go. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you, you've got the access to those and you can post that. People like those things. So you put that on social media and and that can really drive up uh, a fan base pretty quickly. So if you've got that stuff and I know you do with your follower uh, followership, uh, you know, that's, that's a leg up on a lot of others. Yeah, I've been trying to get a fiction, not a fiction book, but a nonfiction book about trafficking off the ground. And uh, I had one of the one of the agents say, well, when you get 50,000 followers on Twitter, we'll, we'll talk on my like, Twitter. I'm like, half the followers are probably going to be bots. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I'd rather just, uh, that's why I self-published my last one. And I had a, a small publisher for the first one. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's a tough world out there to be a writer. And I always tell people, like, you need to have a real job, or I shouldn't say a real job, a day job to support your support your passion until you could fully fund it. I would agree. And I think that if you expect that you're going to sell maybe, you know, between 2,000 and 5,000 books, mm-hmm. you're, I, in my opinion, why go to a publisher? Yeah. Uh, if you can self-publish it and you can mm-hmm. collect your 70% off of Amazon – Knock it out and then go to the next book because in the amount of time that it'll publish one, you know, you get the agent and then you publish the book. It's about, yeah, I, I think that the hybrid model, I think we're going to see a lot more yeah. um, where you can, and they used to call it vanity press. And I really, mm-hmm. I think that it's, it's a lot, a lot less about vanity, but now the, you know, understanding of distribution mm-hmm. and, uh, and maximizing your own profit and keeping yeah. some of that control because I do not see the big publishers doing as well with the, you know, marketing and push that they used to do. Um, and, and they've got to cut some costs also. So if you're, you know, if you have the ability to do that and to invest a few thousand dollars, push it out there, keep your profits, yeah, crank definitely. out three books in 18 months of time, I think you're better for it, honestly. And then you're going to show that you have a track record if you ever want to do to go to a big publisher. I think so. I mean, again, um, there's some there's some different opinions on that. So in the case of, of me, when I started my series, nobody wanted to pick up the series once I had it going. They needed mm-hmm. me to stop, stop and start something anew. Um, so that's something to look out for. Now, that being said, and I guess this would be, you know, the, 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 the news announcement here is um, my um, – Sean Haven's series, the the, Sh- the Shadow Masters and uh, Prime Charge and then Presidential Retreat, uh, those have just been picked up by um, another a smaller independent publisher, hmm. and uh, and so those are going to be re-released. They're going oh, to be re-edited, cool. have new covers on it, and then I'll be putting in some different Easter eggs into those books uh, that kind of align so that all of my books can now flow together uh, for that binge reader. So oh, I think awesome. that's. That's that's pretty exciting news, and uh, that's through Force Poseidon. Um, so I'm looking forward to it. But I guess there's that that example of 
do it on your own first and you may be able yeah. to get picked up later and then, you know, go with it. Very cool. Well, JT, I appreciate you coming on, brother.